Well, it's great to see everybody this morning. As you know, we're making this year and the, uh, uh, the life of our church the year of hope because we believe that our world needs hope, our church needs hope, our community needs hope, and we believe you need hope. And we're seeking to memorize Romans 15, 13. And let's read this together again as we seek to memorize God's word. Okay, let's go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the place where we need a lot of hope is relationships. I bet you know about a relationship maybe in your life and someone else's life that really needs hope. Well, why do relationships need hope? Well, if you think about it, we count on relationships to provide us love, encouragement, support. The problem is almost every relationship we have, one day we will look, for the, that, look to that relationship for the love, encouragement, and support we need, and for whatever reason, it's not going to come our way. It's just not going to be there. And that makes us then go, well, why not? And we get frustrated in relationships. Where do we learn how to have relationships? It's real interesting. I went to college, went to grad school, never had one class in how to have a relationship. Not one class. So we have uh, places that we learn about relationships. First, we learn it from our parents. If you had parents who had good relationship with each other and with their kids, you actually started out life ahead of the curve. If your parents uh, didn't have such a great relationship, maybe there was a lot of tension in your household, uh, you had a pretty steep mountain to climb coming out of childhood, particularly when it comes to learning about relationships. Uh, of course, we also learn about relationships from our own practical experience. It starts, you know, in kindergarten, ask her to ask him to ask her if she likes me right? You know, we, we learn about relationships that way. Uh, we also learn about relationships from Netflix. Uh, I'm not sure that's the best place to learn about relationships. You know, basically any kind of media. Uh, I, I've watched lots of sitcoms in my life, and here's what I've noticed. They all manage to solve relationship problems in 30 minutes with commercials. And that's just not been my experience at all. So, is there somewhere else we can go to learn about relationships? Well, I believe we can go to our Heavenly Father, and He can teach us about relationships. And if you think about it, it makes sense. God designed us to be relational beings. God designed us to have attachments. And so, wouldn't it make sense to go to the one who made us to learn about how to have relationships, how to be in a relationship? Now, I believe that God created the church so that we can actually practice and we can learn how to have relationships. The sad reality is a lot of us have been in churches and we have not found healthy relationships there. In fact, some of you, you got wounded in a church because there were unhealthy relationships. But when the church is being the church that God created it to be, it actually provides us a living laboratory where we can learn how to have healthy relationships. And healthy relationships in church then help produce healthy relationships in life. Healthy relationships in church produce healthy relationships in life. If we look at this book, Romans chapter 12, where Paul is teaching the church at Rome how to have relationships, we'll see how Paul intended this to be modeled in the church but then we'll also see how it translates into our lives, into our marriages, our friendships, our relationships with our kids. So I wanted to introduce you to five concepts. You might want to write these down. These are important. 
you'll find a concept in each one of these verses. And here's the first concept, and that is values, the concept of values. Now, most of us don't sit around and think about, well, what do I believe about relationships? Because a value is what you believe. A value is what you believe. You don't think about it. You just do it. But if relationships are so important, doesn't it make sense to actually pause and think about how do I think about relationships? There's a guy named Adam Grant who uh, teaches at Horton School of Business at University of Pennsylvania. He's actually been a global leadership summit speaker. He's done a lot of research into this. He says basically you can categorize people in three different groups when it comes to relationships. The first kind of person in a relationship is a taker. And a taker in a relationship, anybody want to guess what they do? They take, that's right. These are the people who can be very controlling. These are the people who are looking out for themselves. These are the people who are going to take advantage of you. They do not fundamentally care about you. Now, the second group of people that Grant uh, has discovered are what he calls the matchers. And the matchers are the people who want to make everything fair. They want to make everything even. And so these are people who say, I will love you if you will love me. I will serve you if you will serve me. I will give to you if you give to me. The matchers. Now, you might think that these two first groups are actually pretty happy because the taker is always getting his needs met. No, the taker is always living in fear they'll come out on the short end of the stick. And the matchers are not really particularly happy because they're always worried that things won't be fair. So there's a third group of people, and these are called the givers. And you can understand quickly what they do. They give. They do not look at a relationship based on what they can get out of the relationship. They are people who say, I want something for you, not something from you. Now, here, let's be honest. Can we be honest? All of us want to be in a relationship with a giver, right? I want my friends to be givers. You want to be married to a giver. You sure want your kids to be givers? Good luck with that. But that's the truth, right? And there's actually a journey involved, and you can understand. Any of you who've ever had a baby in your house, we all start as takers. Because babies are takers. Yes, they are. And you kind of move through this time of matchers, but if you stop there and you never actually get up to givers, you're not really mature. When Grant did his research, he found out something very interesting. Guess which group reported the highest level of happiness? The givers. The givers. Because they were not anxious about everything being fair, and they were not anxious about coming out on the short end of the stick. Turns out Jesus was right after all when Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now this is what Paul lays out for us in Romans 12, 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, there's three ideas here. Love must be sincere. It literally means love must be without hypocrisy. Meaning, love doesn't need any hidden agendas. There's no sense of, I'm going to take advantage of you. There is no sense of, I'm going to try to match you. Love must be without hypocrisy, because love is giving. And that's hard for a lot of us. Because we're afraid if we give, then we could take an advantage of. 
And this to me is one of the best reasons for having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus Christ offers you is infinite love from an infinite heavenly father. And when you accept Christ as Savior, when you ask him to forgive your sins and he enters your life, takes control of your life, you now have access to a source of love that will never run out. So you don't have to live in fear and you don't have to live constantly measuring. You will always be well supplied with love. Now, to be honest, you got to take time to be conscious of the love of your Heavenly Father. You have to put yourself in positions of worship, toe-tapping, bluegrass worship sometimes, sometimes softer worship, sometimes getting out in nature, sometimes being deep in His Word. You have to put yourself in a place where you can know and experience the love of God. Now, Paul also says, hate what is evil. And you can understand this. To hate what is evil is to hate what will destroy a person. And if there's something evil in the life of someone you love, you ought to hate that. Now, I wouldn't say to someone, you know, I just hate your selfishness. But you want to pray about that for them. You, you, you want to encourage them to become a more generous, less selfish person. Sometimes we call this tough love. Every one of you who parents a teenager or will parent a teenager, you will need to understand this concept of tough love. Tough love is being willing to love your person you're in a relationship, whether it's your spouse, your friend, or your child. Be willing to love them and tell them the truth even if it hurts. Because you hate what's evil. I love this quote by Jack Welch, the kindest form of leadership is the truth. I think the kindest form of love is the truth. But Paul also says cling to what is good. Don't just focus on the negative. That's where, real easy to do. Instead, cling to what is good. I was talking with a mom and she said she made it her goal to praise every child in her house every day for something. Praise every child in, their in, in her house every day for something. Yeah, that works in marriage too, wouldn't it? Praise your spouse every day for something positive. Do you do that? Cling to what's good. So what are your relationship values? Oh, I could spend all the day on this, but we've got other, four other concepts to get to. But I just want to ask you, are you a taker, a matcher, or a giver? Do you need to ask God to help you become a giver? Do you need to be conscious of his love? All right, let's move on to the second concept. The second concept, concept number two, is second. Now, I know that seems redundant. Because we live so much in fear that we will come out on the short end, we have trouble not putting ourselves first. I remember talking to a woman who told me her story, and in her story, um, was that when she was six years old, she was doing the cooking and cleaning. Six years old, she's doing the cooking and cleaning and taking care of her younger brothers and sisters in her family because her mother was a profound alcoholic. And she said, when I became an adult, I just wanted to find someone to take care of me. Now let me tell you what happens often to people like this. Often what happens to people like this 
is they grow up, they find someone who seems to take care of them, and they fall in love, and they think, this is the man who's going to take care of me all of my life. They marry them, and then they find out he's a taker. Because takers are excellent at fooling you. And she's right back in and trying taking care of somebody. This is why it's important for you to heal. You need to ask God to heal those childhood wounds. You may need to be in a support group, have friends around you that will encourage you. You may need to go to counseling. But the sooner you get healthier, the sooner you will heal, the sooner you'll have healthy relationships. That's so important. So what is this concept of second? It's real simple. I want to understand you first before I'm understood. We'll get to me. I want to serve you first before I am served. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. The word devoted in Greek is a compression of a phrase. The phrase is have brotherly love toward each other full of tenderness. And they slammed it all into one word, devoted. But I like that extended version better. Have brotherly love. In other words, I'm not competing with you. You know, relationships that are a competition wind up with winners and losers. So I'm having brotherly love. And it's full of tenderness. I'm not trying to control you, manipulate you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. It's full of tenderness. To honor someone above yourself, that's self-explanatory. I let you go first. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's just not practical, Clay. That just doesn't work in the real world. In the real world, it's dog-eat-dog. I get that that may be your experience, but let me just gently say to you, if your view of the world is that it's a dog-eat-dog world, you need a better role model than a dog. Because all you'll be doing is chasing your tail. And you're going to live a very frustrated life. Your most successful businesses I know, they put the customer first. And wouldn't it be great if that was the way our church was? If our church was a place where it's not about me. I'm not coming to church just to get my needs met. I'm actually coming to church so that I get an opportunity to have practical experience putting other people first. I want to pray for you before I pray for me. I want to serve you before I serve myself. Wouldn't you like to be part of a church like that? Now, I, I want to tell you, that's our goal at Alice Drive. We're not there. Okay, we're not there. We are in process. But I want us to be that kind of a, a laboratory where we learn to put other people first. And what would happen in your friendships if you loved your friends with a tenderness? If you said, I'm willing to go second. If you said, you know, I, 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 I know my friend can be annoying sometimes, but I'm just, I'm willing because I love and I care for this person. I'm willing to let them go first. What happened in your marriage if you did this? Now, I admit, I admit, I struggle here. I struggle here because probably like a lot of guys, a lot of guys, you know, we're, we come home, it's been a hard day at work, we get home, we sit down in our chair and we just want to go, oh. And then our wife comes home from work, right? And she's been working hard all day. And we want to look at her and say, honey, whew, 
You see after the kids, you cook supper, come over here and rub my feet and bring me some sweet tea. Does that sound fair to you? Okay, here's the interesting thing. Every woman is going, no. But there's a few brave men who are going, you know, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to find that. Good luck. Right? That, that's not reality. So we really need to think about, hey, I'm willing to go second. I'm coming home, and I'm not having this attitude of serve me, but how can I serve you? So I want you to try something this week. I just want you to try practicing this simple phrase, you go first. You go first. You go first. And if you get a chance and have a story about what happens, how about posting it on social media? Use the hashtag, hashtag you go first, and we'd love to just see. See those stories about what happens. Okay, here's the third concept. This is the concept of work. Every relationship requires work. Every relationship. Let me tell you what happens in most relationships. Uh, most romantic relationships. So guy sees girl, guy likes girl, guy works up the courage, asks girl out, they date. Guy takes girl to concerts, to movies, out to eat at nice places. Um, finally gets up the nerve to ask girl to marry him. She says yes. And, oh, yes. And they get married. And here's what happens on the wedding day. Here's what happens on the wedding. On the wedding day, the guy, he may not do this literally, but he goes, ah! You know why? He says, I've won. I beat out all the other guys. I am king of the world. I am the victor. Guys, that's the way we think, right? We think in terms of conquest and victory, and when we finally get her married, we think we've won. And three years later, they're in my office, and she is saying, we don't do anything anymore. All we do is sit at home. He plays video games. We don't go out. To, when we do it like this, when we were dating, we were dating. He took me out to eat nice places. We went to concerts. We went to movies. Now I just watch him on the couch, and it's driving me crazy. Hey, guys, can I tell you when you've won? Till death do us part. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Which means you've got to do the work. Relationships require work. Work is energy over time. Look at verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, again, uh, Paul has put a concept in this first phrase that says, never be lacking in zeal. It makes great sense in Greek. It doesn't translate it in good English. That's why they translate it this way. But literally in Greek, it is be a worker, not a lazier. And you've got to keep your spiritual fervor. Every relationship you have, every friendship, your marriage, your relationships with your kids, your relationships with your parents, your siblings, relationships at work, every one of those is a sacred gift from God. Some of you are saying, I'd like to exchange my gift. I got that. But it gives you a chance to work on some things. And Paul also says, serving the Lord. When you have a healthy relationship, you are serving Jesus Christ. Now, this is why it's so important for us to get this right in church. We want to get this right at church so we can then translate it out. 
So this is why we encourage you to get in life groups. Because in a life group, you're going to find somebody there that annoys you. A problem. We, we don't do it intentionally. It's just sort of the law of average. You're going to find somebody in church that annoys you. And those people, I think, God puts in our life so that we can start practicing working in relationships. So I need to ask you, are you lazy in relationships or are you working? Are you lazy or are you working? My experience is there's two kinds of work I have to do. The first kind of work that I have to do in relationships is I have to restrain myself, and it's work. I have to not say some things I'm thinking, not do some things I want to do, not lose my temper, not just react. And that's work, and I don't get it right nearly enough. Now, the other thing I have to do in relationship, if, if one thing I have to do is restrain myself, then the other thing I have to do is actually take action, pay attention, actually notice what is going on. What do the people in my life need? Well, they need my time. They need my, my energy. They need me to listen, to actually think about them. Now, guys, Valentine's Day, you got 24 hours. How about actually thinking about what would show love to your spouse instead of just thinking about what do I get her so she won't be mad? Because see, that's matching as opposed to giving. So this third concept, work. Let's go to the fourth concept. It is persevere, persevere. All relationships have ups and downs. And when you're in the down cycle, the temptation is to see only what is bad. And that's why we have to remember what verse 9 taught us. Cling to what is good. So you have to persevere in relationships. Now let me tell you something. Oftentimes when you decide to make a change, you're going to change something in a relationship. Things will get worse before they get better. This is a picture of something called a J-curve. J-curve demonstrates what happens in relationships. So let's start over here on the left-hand side. Let's say over here on the left-hand side, we've got a parent, and they realize that they have to change the way they parent their 15-year-old. Okay, the 15-year-old is no longer 10. What worked when they were 10 is not working now. So they decide to change. When they change their way of dealing with their 15-year-old, will things get better or worse? Worse. Why? Well, because you've changed the rules of the game. You've changed the way that you're relating to your teen, and your teen is going to probably protest saying you're being unfair. You didn't used to be like this, you know, and so things will get worse before they get better. Now, this is why a lot of people give up in relationships. They don't want to persevere through that bottom trough. But listen to what Paul says in verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and be faithful in prayer. What does that mean? To be joyful in hope means that hope is stronger than pain. Hope is stronger than fear. And so we're going to find joy that one day we're going to come out that other side. To be patient in affliction, what does that mean? It means we don't expect things to just change overnight. Now this has happened to me dozens of times, dozens of times. Uh, a couple will want to talk to me after church. And uh, they come in, and the woman looks like she is just falling apart, and the man is just hanging his head. And so what's going on? 
And turns out last night she discovered he's having an affair. And she is devastated, she is broken, and he is, I am sorry, I will never do it again, please forgive me, I, 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 it was a mistake, I, please, please, I'll do anything, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. Okay, so, so my goal right then is to try to get them off the edge, give them a couple of things to think about, a couple of things to do. Sometimes I'll make a follow-up appointment, they'll come see me on Thursday, and they'll sit down on my couch in my office, and I'll say, how is it going? And he says, well, she's still mad at me. And I don't understand. I ask her to forgive me. I ask her to, to please, you know, uh, to know that I will never do it again. And I don't see why she's still mad at me. This is when I wish I had a baseball bat in my office <laughs> with the name Jesus inscribed on it so I could hit him upside the head with Jesus. And this is when I have to tell him, this is going to take time. You're going to have to do some work. You're probably going to have to go to counseling. You're going to have to invest some money in this. Well, if she would just get over it, Bubba, you screwed up. Yes, yeah, she probably has some role in this. Who knows? I don't know the story yet. But you've got to persevere. Be patient in affliction. You're running a marathon, not a sprint. Paul also says, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. It means you've got to pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. I was talking to a dad who has an adult son, and he was telling me, and his son's making terrible choices. He doesn't know what to do. And I said, how are you coping? He says, man, I just pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. I think what Paul's really telling us is you've got to think about how you want the story to end. How do you want the story to end? Be joyful in hope. How do you want the story to end? A lot of you have heard the song by Alan Jackson, Remember When? I love that song. It's actually the song about his real life marriage. And there's this one part of the song where he sings, we came together, we fell apart and broke each other's hearts. Remember when? And then remember when the sound of little feet was the music we danced to week to week, brought back the love, we found trust, vowed we'd never give it up, remember when. You've got to persevere. Which means as a church, we've got to persevere with each other. We've got to see each other through the tough times. We've got to see each other through the times when we're not really acting just like Jesus means we need to remind each other of hope and joy. We need to pray for each other like crazy. And that's what we need to do in our marriages and in 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 being parents especially and with our friendships. Now, I can't talk about this without talking about when you let go. When do you actually let go? Um, and I don't mean this to sound trite, but you let go when God tells you to let go. And in the Bible, there's actually scriptural guidelines about when to let go of a marriage. When do you let go of a friendship? I think you let go of a friendship when the toxicity level starts to threaten your own survival. When do you let go of one of your kids? This is the toughest one of all. Sometimes I think you have to let go of your kids when they're really making bad choices so they'll hit bottom faster because that's the only place that change will actually come. 
ask God to help you persevere one more day. Last concept. This is counterintuitive. When we think about healthy relationships, when we focus on the relationship, we tend to think if we can get this relationship right, that solves our problems. But the fifth concept is counterintuitive because it is the concept of others. The concept of others. So there was this man who was in love with this beautiful woman. He was very jealous of all the attention that she received. Other men would hit on her and it just bugged him to death. And, and so he thought if he could just get her to a deserted island, everything would be great. You know, he could get her away from all the other guys. They would be the center of each other's world. And so finally he convinced her to go away with him to a deserted island. They were dropped off there. And the first month, it was everything he dreamed about. He had her all to himself. There were long moonlit walks on the beach. There was time together, looking in the fire, just being together. He thought it was heaven. The second month, he began to notice some minor character flaws in her that got on his nerves. Just a few things. It's just like, you know, he's like, okay, okay, she's not perfect. She's got these few. By the third month, he has noticed that she is an incredibly flawed human being and really probably needed psychiatric care. <laughs> By the fourth month, he is building a boat to get off the desert island to get away from her. What's going on? Relationships are healthiest in community. Relationships are healthiest in community. And this is why when you find that married couple, you're married, they're married, you kind of got some things in, in common, it just really feels good because it's like, aha, somebody like us. This is why it's so easy to bond when you've got small children because you're all up to your eyeballs in diapers and you're just trying to survive, right? And, and this is why friendships are based on things that we have in common. Look at, look at what Paul says. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know what he's really saying? He's, if you're looking to anybody else to be Jesus for you, it's not going to work. If you think you need a spouse that will make you happy, it's not going to work. Your spouse is not always going to make you happy. If you think your children, I've heard women say, I want a child to be happy. <laughs> You'll blend a lot of happiness and joy. But I'm going to tell you, the best thing about being a grandparent is when they're not joyful and they're not happy, those little grandkids, you can give them back. <laughs> so Paul says, look to others in need, whether they need community, whether they need prayer, support, encouragement. Practice hospitality. Pursue it. I think this is the fatal flaw of many churches. You've probably experienced some churches like this. Churches that say, hey, we want to grow. We want to reach new people. We just don't want any new friends. Think that church is going to grow? No, we have to be open and say, hey, there's room for you. And I think this is also the flaw that happens sometimes in marriages. Hey, we just, we just want to stay right here. No, you, you've got to have some community. For us to be healthy in relationships, we need to interact with other people. Uh, there's a guy named John Hansen. He and his son Chase, Chase is 10 years old, every Saturday morning they go downtown in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they find somebody who's homeless and they take them to lunch. They do this every Saturday. 
and they get to know them. They call it project empathy. It's real simple. They have a conversation, they buy somebody lunch. Sometimes those relationships go on and they're able to support people and actually help them transition away from homelessness. Now, as great as that is, what do you think that's doing for John and Chase's relationship? What do you think it does for their relationship? I actually got to see this firsthand. My stepfather was uh, not, not perfect by any means, but he, he definitely had the spiritual gift of giving. And I remember every year when my cousin Willard was done with his watermelon field, we would go and pick the watermelons that they did not want. And um, we would pile up, one year we got 77 watermelons on one truck. Low rider. And so we then would take those watermelons around to everyone in the community. Every house got five, six watermelons. And I can remember, I can remember what a good positive time that was with my stepfather. Because we were actually serving together. I, I love seeing the families serve together and fit. Where it's the mom and dad and the kids. The kids are having fun because we have good snacks in the first impressions room. And mom and dad are actually enjoying serving, families serving together. What if your family actually found someone to serve? Now these five concepts, they all start in the heart. Your heart needs to be filled with love and maybe that's your next step today to let your heart be filled with the love of Jesus. But my hunch is that there is a lesson for you, at least one lesson for you in one of these five concepts. I know the temptation is to say, I need to do all five, and you do, but let's just start with one to do this week. Are, are you the person who says, you know, I need to change my ideas about love? It's not about taking, it's not about matching, it's about giving. I'm gonna change my ideas about love. Are, are you the person who says, you know, I, I really can be selfish, I just need to admit it, I need to put others first. I need to put others first. Has God put in your mind this morning a relationship and you're just thinking, you know, I really need to work at this relationship. I really need to put, put some work into this. Are you the person who says, you know, I just need to persevere a little while longer. I'm not, I don't know if God wants me to stay in this relationship forever, I, I, but right now I just know that God's telling me I gotta persevere a little bit longer. Are you the person who actually is saying, you know, I need to be open to serve others with my friends, with my family, with my life group, with my church? Which one of these lessons is for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to begin by praying for the person who needs to be filled with your love. May they accept Jesus today and begin a relationship with you. Help us all to get clear in our heads what we really believe about relationships. Change our thinking. Help us, God, to be willing to go second and put others first. Help us, Father, to do the hard work in relationships and to persevere and to serve other people I know there's a lesson for every one of us today. Show us what it is in Jesus' name.